0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, and can be found on page 857 of your Pew Bible. 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, You raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: So when I came in this morning, I detected that there was more energy in the room than usual, and I looked around to try and figure out how to account for it. And of course, for some of you haven't noticed yet, it's because the junior high is in our midst. We, we stole their pastor in order to lead our worship service. So along with her, we got all the junior high students. And she tells me that you've spread out among us. So let's not waste this opportunity. Let us greet one another. Hey, I don't care. A handshake, fist bump, chest bump, whatever. Let's take... Let's take a couple minutes to greet one another. Oh no, 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 no! Don't greet the people you know. Greet the people in a different demographic than what you're in. Even if you have to move a little bit, you can stand up if you need to greet somebody. Yeah. Don't I know? Yeah, I know you. But anyway, welcome. Okay, welcome back now. <laughs> so last week after the sermon, some people found me over lunch and said, You know, you've told us all that before. Good. Because today I'm going to give you a quiz. Junior High, you're out of this. It's a spot quiz. You don't have to do this because you weren't here last week, right? But everybody else, okay, here's the spot quiz. We've done all this before. What is odd about this song lyric? We sing this sometimes. What is odd about this lyric? Jesus, God's holiness displayed. Now glorified, now justified, his kingdom come. Now, if you don't answer me real, if you take a long time to answer me, I got a $20 gift certificate to Panera's for whoever gets it right. But, okay, you going to tell me? (laughs) Okay, hey, seriously, what's wrong with it? Why wouldn't Jesus typically be justified? It's odd, I won't say it's wrong, it's odd. Why wouldn't Jesus be justified? Where do I hear it? Oh, you mean he wasn't justified because he was condemned? What do you mean? If God passed over sin and didn't kill God the Son, then he would be unjust in forgiving Oh, okay. God would be unjust. Okay, but well, how about Jesus? How about? Never needed to be justified. Why didn't Jesus need to be justified? Okay. What is okay? So here's the deal. We don't need to repeat the sermon if you get it right. Uh, what is the setting, what is the setting for justification? Courtroom. Courtroom, yeah, there we go, okay. And what is that setting, what does it say about us? That we had to be justified says what about us? We're what? We're guilty of what? You know, not just sin, but we're guilty of what? Somebody stand and deliver because I can't too many voices. Oh, yeah, okay, we ignore God, which which is our cause of guilt. But in the metaphor, where are we in this metaphor? We're guilty. Ah, guilty of a capital crime. I don't have that many $20 gift certificates. We're guilty of a... Excellent. We're guilty of a capital crime. Right? We're in a courtroom, on trial, and we're guilty of a capital crime. You didn't read that off there, right? He he only showed it after you got... Okay. What's the solution? Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, but how? How? What specifically? <laughs> what happened in the metaphor? Within, within the metaphor, what happened? No, I can see too many voices. Okay, somebody stand up and stand up and take a shot. You, you now you know what my life is like. Somebody want to gamble this? What what happened to Jesus in this metaphor? You want to take a shot? Okay. No, 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 no. I won't look at you too long. Come on. I'm... Jesus didn't go to jail. <laughs> you are close. I mean, in the metaphor, right? uh, uh, like that means it's a metaphor. Well, Jesus took our punishment. Well, what was our punishment? What was the punishment he took from us? Um, that, yeah, crucifixion. Or in the metaphor, he was executed. We were guilty of a capital crime. Therefore, we should be executed. Jesus was executed in our place. Good. All right. You weren't here last week, were you? How'd you get that? Okay. No, no. This is not a get out of jail card for you. If you get the right answer, it doesn't mean you go home right now. Um, we got another. Okay. And then, what difference does it make to our, the way we live? We can sit. <laughs> okay, that's Lauren. You got to understand how this works. Okay. The first difference it makes. Sorry. ouch (laughs) ouch okay so this is the deal if you give me a smart remark I'm going to sick Pastor David on you (laughs) he's my enforcer you see okay (laughs) he's not big but he's tough all right sorry did I just do something bad anyway Lauren thank you you can thank me later anyway um, so look. Uh, here's the deal. We've already gone through one court case, but we're going to have another court case at the end of time. And this court case, we've been vindicated. But you know, we've been declared we've been declared innocent because Jesus was executed in our place, and so we're innocent. And we have another court case at the end of time, and and God will evaluate the way we live, and He'll look at our faith, He'll look at the way we live, and say, Are these two co- things consistent? So we have another, so we can't keep on sinning because we have another court case coming. In the meantime, what other benefit or what other consequence, what other difference does it make? I didn't hear, louder. Okay, louder. Oh, well, Jesus does give us the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't really fit into this metaphor. What's the other difference within the metaphor? If you don't answer, I get real close. What other? What's the other thing? Why did Luther need justification? Why Luther, Martin Luther, the 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 leader of the Lutheran Church, uh, came up with uh, uh, or emphasized justification? Why? Why did he emphasize justification in his own personal experience? Oh, we have a we have a Luther in this congregation. Oh, now he's going to really get pinned down. But it's okay. He's been a pastor here, so he's okay. Why did Luther need to emphasize justification? Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Talk to me. Oh, Pastor uh, David was not here last week. Talk to me. Why did Luther need to? Why did he emphasize justification? Oh, he, it was justification through faith alone. But why did he? Why did? He, why was justification so important to his own spiritual life, his own survival? Sorry. Oh, well, we are free, but that's not... No, no. Oh, you got to keep it in the metaphor. All of this makes sense within the metaphor. Right? We're guilty. We're on trial. God is the judge. We're on trial. We're guilty. Right? Jesus, it, it, we're actually acquitted, and Jesus is executed in our place. And then, uh, so how does how does one... There's one more benefit. Ah, never mind. I'll let you. You've got most of it. Well, we're declared innocent. We are acquitted. And that Jesus is executed in our place. But there's one more benefit from this. Well, it is all by grace. It is by grace. But that's, I mean, you got to keep it in the metaphor. What happens in a or once we're acquitted, we don't walk around guilty anymore. We, we, we have a clear conscience because of our justification. You know, as we sing in one of these songs, when when God looks at us, He sees Christ. So we don't have to live with this oppressive sense of, you know, that we're always guilty. No. We've been vindicated in a court of law. They can't arrest us again. Satan can't accuse us. We're innocent. If we've been acquitted by the judge. We can live without a guilty conscience. Oh, we can't live without a guilty conscience if we keep going back to the same old crime. You know, we're, but we're not. Who's that fellow I used the illustration for? Whitey Bulger. We're not Whitey Bulger. We're not going to claim we've got immunity. Oh yeah, yeah. We've been declared innocent, or we got some special agreement with the FBI so we can go and keep uh, committing crimes. If we try that, we're going to we're going to cop it in the end. But this, the real benefit is this: is that we can live without guilt before God. Now that's justification. Now, what we're going to look at today. Oh, and you did well. That's good. We won't go back to that. What I want to look at today is a second metaphor. And why we're doing this is, well, there's a lot of reasons why we're doing this. First of all, you know, if we're going to sing a song in worshiping God, probably better if it's true, right? It'd be nice to sing. So when we sang this song previously, that song I showed you, when we sang it previously, we changed the words. So that it would be more true. Now, actually, the song, technically, the song can be correct. If the person who wrote the song knows Greek, and if he was teach- if he was thinking of First Timothy chapter 3, there is a way in which you can use this Greek word of Jesus. Not the English word, but the Greek word. But if he was English-speaking and was writing in English in the song, he just chose a word because it, it fit. You know, it had the right number of syllables in it. And he just stuck it in there. But it'd be nice if we're going to worship God, that we worship him with... with Verses or songs that are really actually true, right? Secondly, you know, we want to put a little bit of effort into understanding this stuff because if Jesus put the effort into doing it It's a lot easier to understand that than it is to do it. So we want to put a little effort into understanding it But the other reason maybe the most important reason we want to put a little effort into understanding these things is because it makes a difference in how we live what we think has consequences for how we live. So Martin Luther, Martin Luther was oppressed with guilt. You know, I've told you before, he could go into a confessional and confess for an, excuse me, for an hour, and he could come out and go right back in again because he'd think of some other things he hadn't confessed. And you remember the thing I told you before, his confessor finally got so tired of seeing him. He was a monk, by the way. It wasn't like he was running up and down the street doing stupid stuff. He was a monk in a monastery. It's still plagued by a sense of guilt. His his confessor finally said, look, I don't want to see you again unless you've done something worth confessing. Go out and kill your parents or do something like that and then come back and you'll have something worth confessing. It matters. If we don't know that we've been exonerated, acquitted, declared innocent in a court of law, we're going to carry around this load of guilt. On the other hand, if we don't realize that there's another law court coming that we've appeared before the first, well, it's not two law courts, it's one law court in two phases. We've appeared before the first phase now. And there's a second phase coming later at the uh, end of time. If we don't know that we're going to come to another court case at the end of time, then what's going to happen to us is we're just going to believe some of these books we can buy and read. Christian books. that tell you, no, you shouldn't live like this, but if you do live like this, it's okay. you know, you'll get by. It'll be okay, you'll, you'll make it. And Jesus says, no, you won't. So it's really important that we understand these metaphors so that we know how to live, clear conscience, without engaging persistently in sin. So that's justification. There's one more reason why we should know these things, but it's my reason. But if you like me, then you'll do this. See, the guy I did my graduate studies with was the world leader, number one theologian in the world in... Understanding this stuff and writing about this stuff for about 40 or 50 years. Now he's deceased, so it's not like he's gonna come here and take away my graduate, my diploma. But at least have some sympathy for me. I mean, it's embarrassing if, if I've been here 13 years and you guys don't know this stuff. So we'll keep working on it. Alright, now we wanna look today at redemption. And I've got another illustration for you. And what's odd about this? Jars of clay, redemption songs. Now, Minister Jen pointed this out to me because she was trying to find songs about redemption for today's worship service, and she couldn't find some. But what she did do was she found this album cover, Redemption Songs. Now, you don't know the answer yet, but so I'll tell you. What's odd about this is that this album, this CD of redemption songs, actually has no songs about redemption on it. Whoa, dog, how'd that happen? You see, what we've done is, it's, it's like we take all of these things that the Bible tells us about Jesus dying. Jesus died for us, we know that. Now, the Bible uses a lot of different words to describe, trying to explain. Why did Jesus die? What did he have? To, why did he have to die? What did his death accomplish? And the Bible's trying to explain all that stuff for us, and it uses a lot of metaphors. Well, we've taken it, just like so much spaghetti, we've dumped it in a pot, and we let it boil until it was mush, and we can't differentiate it anymore. We think, oh, well, they all mean the same. What's justification? Oh, redemption. No. Oh, salvation. Well, no. You know, there's all different metaphors. And this is not academic, you know. Uh, justification it, it, it affects how we live. If we've been acquitted, we'll live differently than if we're guilty and haven't been acquitted. If we're not going to be on trial in the future, we'll live differently than if we are going to be on trial. It, it makes a difference. And so, Redemption. Today, we want to look at redemption, specifically what redemption refers to. And so I begin with a story about a fellow who needed redemption. A story, by the way, I got out of this book, A Crime So Monstrous. Uh, This is by Benjamin Skinner, wrote the book. Uh, He's a head of a research institute at Brandeis, of all places. Somebody's correcting me. (laughs) Oh, we're okay with Brandeis? Okay, good school, Brandeis, right, That was a pause, it wasn't a correction, okay. Okay. Now, not all of our Brandeis students know he's head of a research institute at Brandeis, but anyway, there you go. Um, but I took the Tamer story. I couldn't make my way through this book. This is a book about, there's a a whole book full of stories about people who need redemption. But some of them are just so rough that I couldn't get through them, and I, so I'll give you one of the Tamer ones. Uh, Bill Nathan was born in 1984 in a Caribbean island. And his father died shortly after he was born. He was raised by a single mom as 60% of the children in that country are raised by single moms. Uh, She worked as a doing laundry and cooking for a couple of the the other wealthier families in her neighborhood. Not wealthy, but wealthier. I mean, at least they had enough money to hire somebody to do their laundry and cook. Uh, He grew up poor, but happy enough, you know. Uh, the mother, at least on Sunday, they'd have a special celebration and she'd cook something special for them and uh, the, it would uh, time to be happy together. Now she was a little worried because already her husband had died and what happens with her? She didn't have any money reliable in her family to look after them. So she talked to a couple of the families that she worked with and they said, yeah, if anything happens, we'll look after your kids, it'll be okay. As it happens, when Bill I was uh, seven years old. His mom fed the kids that night. And about somewhere in the middle of the night, the mom woke up screaming and yelled out to her kids, I love you. I feel like I'm going to die. And that was the last thing she said. So the neighbors, as they had promised, they took the kids. They split the kids up. One neighbor took one kid. One neighbor took another. And Bill ended up with a family that had a small business. And the, but the economy went bad. And the political situation changed. And the father of the household was taken away to jail because of the political things. And the family was bad, so the family lost their restaurant. They couldn't afford their servants, and so they turned Bill into a servant. And so every day he'd get up early in the morning and work straight through the day to late at night doing all the household chores. Uh, As pressure got greater for the family and times got harder, he was beaten regularly. The only food he had to eat was leftovers. He couldn't go to school or work on his future. You know, he couldn't build anything more positive for himself in the future. Then one day, to kind of train him and teach him a lesson, the woman who was taking care of him gave him $20 in local currency and told him to go to the market and buy a whole list of goods. And he got to the market, and he'd never had so much money before. And he was only a kid, about seven years old. And he... Um, Came across one of these scam artists with a shell game, and the guy was playing with the shells and said, "Oh, you know," and said, "Look, you risk four dollars, you can get eight dollars, you can make more money, save it for yourself." So he risked four dollars, $4. and of course he lost it, and then he thought, "What do I do now?" He curled up under a mango tree and white with fear, thinking, "What do I do now?" Uh, eventually, he had to go back because he had nowhere else to live, and the woman kicked him to his knees. She handed him two rocks, one in either hand, and told him to hold his hands out, or hold his arms out, and not to drop the rocks, or she'd kill him. And then she started to beat him. And as he, she, as he screamed, she beat him everywhere, his head, his body, his eyes, the whole thing. After 20 minutes, the story goes, he was bloody. His blood laid in pools on the cement floor underneath his feet but the rocks were still in his hands. Now this is, one of the, this is one of the tamer stories in a book of stories about people facing similar circumstances. And while this took place in a Caribbean island, we probably know because of our ethnicity for most of us, our, this ethnic community, we probably realize that a lot of this stuff still goes on within U.S., in our community. WGBH Public Radio told the story of a woman who was middle class, ambitious, in China at 19 years old. She made an agreement with a snakehead that for $8,000, they'd get her into this country. And so they took her into Thailand, gave her bogus papers as if she was Thai, and then smuggled her into this country. Her first night... She was given lodging, and then the next day she was taken to a restaurant. And then a few days later to another restaurant, a few days later to another restaurant, all owned by the same wealthy businessman, until they could find the restaurant that needed her her services. And then from then on, she would work from 8 a.m. until 1 a.m. the next morning, working in a restaurant. Thirteen days she works, one day she gets off. She has to pay for her room and board, as well as her... You know, as well as the paying off the snakehead. So her actual cost doubled from 18 to 16,000. Maybe she gets $100 every so often for her work. So she's not entirely a slave. She is paid. She's been doing this for 19 years. She still owes money to the snakehead. She can't run away because they know where her family lives in her country of origin. And she could run away and be safe, but they've threatened her family and she believes a threat. So whether it be in Caribbean or in this country, there's still a lot of slaves. And the whole redemption metaphor comes out of that kind of a background. In the first century, we know even before the first century, there were a lot of slaves. One of the ways armies supported themselves in the first century was they took prisoners of war. And you can do one of two things with a prisoner of war. You take them back, and if they're wealthy, they can contact their families, and their families can buy them out. But if they're poor, they got nobody to buy them out. So to make money, you just sell them. And in the first century, when Peter wrote, up to a third of the population of Rome would have been slaves. Some slaves were treated well, uh, but some were not treated so well. This is the kind of setting from which redemption comes. It comes out of the sense of a slave. Uh, it comes out of the a setting of a marketplace. What it tells about us is that in, before, apart from Christ, in our human condition, we are slaves. Now why is this so important? You see, Luther was plagued by a sense of guilt. And so he focused on the biblical teaching about justification, about innocence. But you see what justification tells about us? We're all criminals, guilty of a capital crime. This is not a good thing, right? When that Waylon teenager who recently was convicted of murdering his girlfriend. We don't have sympathy for the Wayland teenager. We may have sympathy for his parents. We certainly have sympathy for the family of the girl that was killed. Whitey Bulger, we don't have sympathy for Whitey Bulger. If the only metaphor we know, if the only explanation about our salvation we know is justification, what would we constantly tell ourselves? We are terrible, terrible people. Capital crimes we've committed. We deserve to die. And that's true, but that's only part of the truth. Here's the other part of what Scripture tells us. Our problem is not just that we're guilty. Our problem is also that we're slaves. And we have sympathy for slaves. Uh, we, We have sympathy for Bill Nathan. It tells us that God has sympathy for us. When God looks at us apart from Christ, he sees criminals, but that's not all he sees. He sees victims. He sees people that are enslaved to their sin. It tells us that sin is not just something we do because we're nasty people. Sin becomes captivating. Sin takes hold of us, and we can't break free from it. Sin makes us victims and shows God's sympathy for us it tells us that we are victims of our own making but victims of a terrible injustice and that god cares about the situation we're in and in that situation in this slave court in this uh, slave marketplace where all the slaves are on sale redemption tells us god's solution to that redemption is the word used for god entering the marketplace and buying back these slaves Slaves who are abused and slaves who are mistreated and God buys them back. The metaphor breaks down. He doesn't pay the price to anyone. But what, what what redemption tells us is that Jesus pays for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. You know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. What were we redeemed? Why? You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Any slave master or anybody that wanted to buy another human being in the first century could go into the slave market and buy a human being. Just all it took was a little silver, maybe a little piece of gold. God didn't spend money to buy us. God sent his son to die. Redemption is a solution to our slavery. Christ was the price that God paid to free us from slavery. And so, what difference does it make? First of all, it tells us this. We are now children of God. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to judgment. We're no longer slaves to Satan. We're no longer facing this miserable, terrible life. Colossians chapter 1.13 puts us this way. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption tells us that in a very real sense, it's only partial, in a very real sense, God has solved our problem. And there's multiple parts of this problem. We no longer bear the status of slaves. We no longer bear the criticism, the accusations. We no longer bear the victimization of slaves. We are children of God. It also means, though, that we no longer have to live as slaves. We don't have to keep committing sin. As slaves, all we could do was what our, our master said. And if our master was sin, then we did what sin said. And now with redemption. No, we don't have to. Our minds, our bodies... Our addictions may say there's no use fighting, you can't win. Our minds may tell us we're like Bill Nathan, holding those stones and you can't fight back and all you can do is stand there and get beaten. But our redemption tells us something different. We are not there anymore. We don't have to stand and be beaten. We don't have to do what that master says. Sometimes it's not easy to break free. We got I keep telling you, we got groups that can help with that. We understand it's not always easy to break free. But here's the truth. Breaking free starts with this. Breaking free starts with the reality that we don't have to break free. Jesus has already broken us free. That is who we are. We are free from punishment. We are free from control. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are no longer sons of darkness, slaves, hidden. We are now sons of God, children of him. Bill Nathan's story could be told only because he was rescued. There was at one point, he went to the door of the home where he was staying after he'd been in slavery for several years. There was a knock on the door and he was sent as the the servant, the slave, he was sent to answer the door. He answered the door and two men grabbed him, pulled him into a car and drove off. He was kidnapped. But they quickly explained to him that they'd been sent by a nun who'd heard, who knew their mother and who ran a rescue ministry in that town. He was freed. Do you suppose he ever obeyed that family again? He was freed. They paid for him to go to school. They put him in an orphanage. Eventually, they found out he had a gift for, being, for drumming, and they sent him off to a professional music school overseas. And he became a professional musician. All because he'd been set free. Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. In whom we have redemption. In whom we have freedom. The forgiveness of our sins. And there's another consequence. We never return to slavery. Who in their right mind would ever go back to that kind of a life? Since his story has come out, as a professional musician and as a former slave, now freed, Bill Nathan has performed in Toronto in front of a crowd of 5,000, including Pope John Paul II. He performed for Brazil's president, Lula, He performed at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. He performed at Harlem's Apollo Theater. He performed at the Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now he runs an orphanage and works as a professional musician and serves in his church. Do you suppose that Bill Nathan has ever had any inclination to go back to that home and resubmit to slavery? This is what scripture says about us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. No freedman voluntarily ever goes back to slavery. And this is what the text is calling us to. First Peter says, Verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Just as your adoptive father is holy, now live like him. Just as your redeemer is holy, live like him. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to sin anymore. You don't belong to yourselves. You belong to him. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. It is written in scripture. Be holy because I am holy. Redemption invites us to celebrate. We are free. And redemption exhorts us to live in this freedom. We are nobody's slave. Don't submit yourself back to slavery, the text says. So this is what redemption tells us about. That God saw us in our plight. We were miserable. Not wicked. We were miserable. We were oppressed. And God saw us in his plight. And he has a heart for the oppressed. So he sent his son to free us. It cost his son his life, but it was a price God was willing to pay for us. And so now we have freedom. Freedom to serve God. Freedom to determine our own direction of life. Freedom to love God. Just not freedom to go back to that way of sin and slavery that would just be pure madness let's pray together father we know we are sinners before you in need of justification but we know too we feel we we thank you that you know that we're not just sinners we're also slaves and that you cared about us and you sent your son to free us from slavery. May we now, Father, always live for you. Not just because you bought us, but because in you we have true freedom. We ask for your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Chuck. Would
0: you please rise for worship?